All right, this morning's scripture, the second chapter of Luke, 25 through 30. Actually, I wanted 22 through 30, so let's back, let's do it a different way. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. Actually, it it, it said it to that as well, so let me catch up. And when it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not Go backwards. Here we go. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And when it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, and he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said... Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. The word of God, let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here, to look at your word, to think back on those days and weeks after the birth of our Lord and Savior and to see what was going on with Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus at that time, Father. And we pray that you would give us special insight this morning, that your Holy Spirit would direct our hearts and minds and thoughts, Father, as we ponder these precious words. And I pray, Lord, the words I speak be not of me, but be glorifying unto you and of your Spirit. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, last week we looked... At Luke's account of the birth of Christ. And this week we're going to continue in Luke, but we're going to go the step further. We're going to go the few days and weeks after the birth of Christ and, and sort of follow them a little bit along this path. Now Luke's account's a little bit different than Matthew's. Luke's account doesn't tell us anything about the wise men. He doesn't include the family going to Egypt to escape Herod. But Luke gives us a great deal of details, and it's just a difference in the writers and a difference in what the Holy Spirit quickened in their hearts to record for all of us to have with us to study. So we have images or pictures in our minds of the Christmas birth story and of what that manger might have been like or what it looked like how it smelt and everything that went along with it and Luke always gave us a great deal of detail and so as I said last week we were able to see that the the family made its way or Mary and Joseph at that time made its way to Bethlehem no place to stay and was forced to basically stay the night in a in a cattle stall and give birth to our Lord and Savior, in which he was placed into a cattle trough. Now Luke's going to give us three examples, or three witnesses, to demonstrate to us that Christ was, and is, 
the Son of God and actually is God himself. We were told prior to this that Mary and Joseph were both righteous. And that is important in our thinking of the parent and parents of Jesus. They testify to the divinity of Christ and they do so by fulfilling the law. Jesus tells us himself, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. But even at this very early stage, that was all being played out and being accomplished by his mom and earthly father. So this morning we're going to look at a relatively unknown person in the Bible. Matter of fact, it's the only place where we will ever see Simeon or ever hear Simeon. When these passages are finished... We have no idea where he went, and prior to these passages, we have no idea from where he came. So it's very unique in that respect. Pick it up in verse 22. And when the days for the purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him, being Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, Jesus, we know prior to this passage, I believe it's in 21, that he was circumcised on the eighth day. And that circumcision was according to the law of Moses, ergo the first fulfillment of the law. And second, he was going to be presented to the Lord, which was also required by the law. Not only was he presented to God, but it wasn't a requirement that he be presented at the temple. But in this case, he was being presented at the temple. And I think that just goes to show you how much Mary and Joseph cared about how they were going to raise this young child. And they felt the enormity of the task that God had given them to raise his very son. So we have an interesting phrase here in verse 22. And when the days for purification according to the law of Moses were completed. The days for purification. Haven't used this in a long time. Let's see if it works. They fixed it. I used to underline and it would be like five lines down. So anyway... When the days for the purification, what is that? You ever, you ever read that and stop and think, what's that all about? Because there's a, just something that doesn't ring true there or something that we really don't quite understand. In Leviticus, and I think it's chapter 12, in Leviticus, when a woman gave birth to a son, she was declared or considered unclean for seven days. She was considered unclean for seven days. The son was circumcised on the eighth day. And then I guess 32 additional days after that, for a 40-day total period, she was unclean. Now, the first seven days were unique. She was isolated. I mean, I am, I'm sure that the joy of having a baby quickly came about was sometimes depression because you weren't allowed to be around your husband you weren't allowed to be around your friends nothing went on in your life for that first seven day period and then you had circumcision take place and then 33 more days after that you were still considered unclean couldn't enter the sanctuary 
couldn't partake in any holy ceremonies at all. You were basically ostracized or cut off for God from God for a 40-day period. If you had a girl, it was doubled. 14 days, the original 14 days, were, you were basically by yourself. And then it was 66 days after that, for a total of 80 days, you were considered unclean. And so you may ask, what type of ritual was this? Why was that the case? And basically every theologian that I looked at, that I studied as I was preparing this, agreed. It's a reflection back, pointing backwards to the garden, to the original sin, to the fact that although the woman was righteous, Mary in this case was righteous, she gave birth to an infant that was fallen. It points back to the fact that as beautiful and as wonderful and as great as that newborn baby is and how precious they are, they're filled with sin from the very beginning. So it's a time to reflect, say, yeah, I gave birth to a wonderful child, but at the same time, this child is a sinner from the time they come from the womb. David in Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So we've kind of gotten away from that, right? But it was very important at the time that they realized, hey, this baby and this sin that started in the garden is coming through this mother, and there's going to be a purification process after the, the baby comes through the, from the womb. And you say, well, why twice as long as the girl, for the girl? I, I don't know, and there's no definitive answer to that. It's very interesting, and I encourage you all to, to look it up after, after you get out of here. I don't know why it's twice as long for the girl. There's multiple theories, I suppose. But one thing that rang true to me as I was researching it was that the whole act of circumcision is a purification ritual as well. So when you have seven days and on the eighth day the boy is circumcised, so the boy has a purification ritual, and so the mom then goes another 33 days, the girl doesn't have that. Circumcision obviously was not conducted on the females, so the girl didn't have that intermediate purification ritual at the, on the eighth day like the boy did. So as I said, this is just something that, that I felt made sense. I have no earthly idea why. But, and there's a lot of theories out there. There are those that, that believe that perhaps it's because the girl will also give birth to another child through her womb and pass that on. And so you sort of needed the double time of purification for what was to come. I don't know. But the one that rang the most true to me was the fact that the boys were circumcised and that in and of itself was a purification ritual. So that is why that Mary is going back to Bethlehem, not to Bethlehem, to Jerusalem. And so if you look then at Matthew, you, you really don't get this. You get them leaving Bethlehem and going to Egypt, but we know here there's a 40-day period here where they stick around and they run to Jerusalem for this period of purification that, that is on Mary. So... They 
They took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to purify Mary. As it, as it is written, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. This comes back. Anyone know from where this comes? Old Testament, why this is? Recall the whole Egypt situation whenever they were trying to get out of Egypt and ultimately what led to them being able to leave Egypt? The angel of death. And you had the blood over the doorpost and those that didn't, it was the firstborn. So the firstborn of the firstborn male of every woman was to be called holy so it is also a reflection back on that let me get out of this there so they had to go and offer a sacrifice which was at that time a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons and there was a man So here we have somebody new entering this scene. They go to Jerusalem, they're in the temple, and there is a man in Jerusalem, and his name is Simeon. We don't know much about him, as I said, and we've not heard about him before, and we will never hear about him again. But we know that Simeon was righteous, and Simeon was devout. And I will tell you that it was very difficult to find a righteous and devout man in the nation of Israel at the time. Even at the time of the end of Christ's ministry, at the end of his ministry, the number of Christians was about 120 people in the entire world. 120 people. And so here we have Simeon. Righteous and devout. His name means God has heard. God has heard. So there was a particular cry by the believers in Israel, a cry out to God to provide them a Savior. And Simeon's name reflects this whole idea or concept that God has heard your cries. He's heard your petitions and your requests. So God heard the cry and he was going to send them a savior. Simeon was most likely an older gentleman when this time arose. Because if we look over at verse 29, he says, You are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. So Simeon had been sticking around just for this event to happen. This was the culmination of Simeon's life. This was everything that he was living for, and this was his one thing to do for God in his life. For my eyes have seen your salvation. So, as I said... Luke tells us that Simeon was righteous. I don't want us to be misled in what that means. He was righteous and devout. He wasn't godly because of what he did. He was godly because of his faith in God, and those actions then naturally flowed from that faith. To do otherwise, to think that that Simeon was a righteous guy because he did what he did leads you to a works righteous salvation, and we all know that that is not the case. 
He was righteous because he believed God and he was justified in God's eye because of that. We follow God's commands because we are his children. We are not his children because we follow his commands. Simeon was a true believer. The fact that he was devout means that he was extremely dedicated to God. He was dedicated to what God wanted from him. The actual Greek means that he was cautious. He was cautious to do what God had asked him to do. Conscientious, I guess. When you are conscientious in your work, you want to do a good job, and that describes Simeon's relationship with God. He wanted to do a good job because he knew that he wanted to serve God. He wanted to please God. He did not want to live an irresponsible life or a selfish type life. He truly knew God and lived that life devoted to him. This verse also tells us something about Simeon's theology. It says he was looking for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? Looking for the consolation of Israel. That term consolation or the word consolation shows up in sports from time to time, right? They won the consolation championship, or he won the consolation prize. And so he was looking for the consolation of Israel. The word consolation actually means comfort, comfort. So, so in some, at some sporting event, someone wins the consolation prize, it's like, we're going to give you something to comfort you. You're really the, the loser, but we're going to give you a prize here to comfort you. But it's different here. It meant comfort. And so he was looking for the comfort of Israel. The Savior was going to be their comfort. I mean, Israel was going through a very dark time. The Romans were not kind to them. And it was very difficult for them to survive in the environment in which they had. And they wanted some sort of comfort. They sought a comforter. And that is what Simeon was looking for. He was looking for the comforter of Israel. He knew and understood that Malachi and the words in Malachi were 400 years earlier. And 400 years ago, God had promised to send them a Messiah. And he knew that that Messiah was going to provide comfort to his people. And that Messiah was going to be the savior of the world. So he cared not only about God, but he also cared about the entire nation of Israel. And so that's what he's looking for or who he's looking for. As an aside, there's another term for comforter that we get. You want to remember what that is? Who's the comforter? The Holy Spirit, right? Jesus said it's imperative that I go away because if I don't go away, the comforter won't come. So God provides comfort throughout his trinity. He is Father, He is Son, and He is Holy Spirit. Isaiah 40.11 gives us this description of the coming Messiah. Like a shepherd, He will tend His flock. In His arm, He will gather the lambs and carry them in His bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. Comforter, no doubt. Comforter. 
Isaiah 49, 13. Shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth into, shout, into joyful shouting, O, mount, o mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. He provides comfort for his people. Don't be misled, though. Those who are not his people, there will be a judgment. And that will be reckoned. He was a devout man looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, when we see those words, Holy Spirit, upon him, you can return a lot of times to the Old Testament because you're going to see over and over and over throughout the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit was upon someone. That situation is different than the Holy Spirit being inside convicting of sin and leading to repentance. When the Holy Spirit was upon someone, it gave them a special power. The Holy Spirit would be upon David, for instance, whenever he was going to battle or war, and it gave him special power as a warrior. The Holy Spirit was upon the prophets. It gave them special powers to be able to prophesy. So at this time in Simeon's life, and I don't know for how long, but the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was giving him a special power, and that special power was that he would be able to identify the newborn king, the Savior. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So God promised Simeon, told him, you're not going to die until you see the Savior. What an amazing promise. What an amazing promise for God to make to someone that you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. But it cuts both ways, right? Because it sounds like, when we get to the end of this, that Simeon was relieved to be released from this obligation. And it kind of reminds us of what faith does in a believer's mind and heart with respect to this world. This world grows grows old. The pain, the suffering, the heartache, the disease, the grind of day to day, it wears you down. And the longer you're in it, the more it wears. And so as I said, Simeon was no doubt an older gentleman. And so as beautiful and as amazing as this was, Simeon was captive to this. I mean, he was a faith-filled man. He knew that a wonderful eternity was awaiting him, yet he was a captive until he got to see the Messiah. So while I'm sure it was an extraordinary thing for him to do, I'm sure there was also a part of him thinking, when, O Lord, when am I going to be finished You wonder how many days he woke up and thought, is this going to be the day? Is this going to be the day that I'm going to see the Messiah, the Savior of all the world? It's a funny, comical response. Can you imagine if he had a wife? Simeon, you you better not be on that ladder because you could fall off and kill yourself. No, not going to happen. I can fall all I want. I'm not going to die until I see the Messiah. 
little levity in that situation, but as I said, I'm, I'm sure that every day he woke up and wondered if this would be the day. And he came in the spirit to the temple. And when the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child to carry out for him the custom of the law, So they came to the temple. Now stop and think about all of this and, and ponder God's providential hand in this situation. Mary and Joseph was not required but decided on their own to take Jesus to the temple and to present him to God at the temple. Was not required. They just decided that that's what they were going to do. And yet here at the temple was this man Simeon that God had told I have no idea how long before. We don't know. It was likely several years before. You're not going to die until you see the Messiah. And he brings him to the temple on that day. So we have the providential hand of God of Mary and Joseph bringing Jesus that was not required to the temple. And here we have Simeon that is required to see the Messiah. Coincidences don't exist, folks. There is no such thing as one. We see God's marvelous providential hand working it out so that his dear servant Simeon would see the Savior of the world. Not only that, but the temple was, had hundreds and hundreds of people. I mean, you could go to the temple and not see the same person twice or you could be at the temple and never see somebody that was supposed to meet you there. But yet God put them together. We don't know how they found each other. We just know that they did. And Simeon took Jesus into his arms. And he blessed God. And he said, now Lord you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. I'm quite sure that there was a conversation that took place here. There was a conversation that took place between Simeon and Mary. Had to be. Mary's not just going to give up her newborn 40-day-old baby to a stranger that comes up and says, Hey, I'm supposed to take him. So there had to be a conversation that took place between Simeon and Mary. Obviously, it wasn't to the, or found important enough for us all to hear about it. But hopefully we will get to ask that question someday. But there was a conversation that had to have taken place. Simeon finds Jesus and he takes him into his arms and he blesses God. He praises God for sending a Savior. Now can you imagine what was going on in Simeon's mind at that moment? Probably years and years and years of frustration of looking and looking and looking and never finding And I don't know, I know that that Simeon is a man of much greater faith than myself. But I know that if it would have been me, oh, the doubting that would be going on. Really? Is it even ever going to happen? Am I ever going to see this Messiah that you told me to find? I looked for him every day and he's not there. Is Christ really coming back? 
I mean, God, we look at this world around us and we see all the decay and chaos and everything that's going on, and yet I don't see him coming back. But oh, Simeon's faith. He didn't waver. He stayed at it. He did exactly what God had asked him to do. And can you imagine the joy that filled his very soul when he saw the king, and ki- king of kings wrapped in cloths in the arms of Mary? I'm sure it was an amazing time for Simeon. And so here he is, praising and thanking God for giving him such a wonderful assignment and opportunity. And so verse 29 begins with Simeon's song of praise. And throughout this chapter of Luke, there's been several songs of praise, right? We know that we had Zacharias had a song of praise whenever they became with child with John the Baptist. Mary had a song of praise, the Magnificat, when she found out she was with child. And now we have Simeon with a song of praise. Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. And then... The powerful verse 30. Amazing verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon knows a whole lot here. Simeon knows more than probably anybody else in that temple, right? My eyes have seen your salvation. Not my eyes have seen your child or your son or Mary and Joseph's baby, but my eyes have seen your salvation. Lord, I can die now. I can die now. I can live eternity with you because my eyes have witnessed your salvation. And in some respects, this was the culmination of all the Old Testament saints. Right? From Abraham right on down. This is what they lived for. This was it. This was the moment. Everybody looked forward to to that saving Jesus. To save them all. To save us all from our sins. And from Abraham all the way. Simeon who's mentioned what? Seven verses here. He's the one that got to do it. My eyes have seen your salvation. I have seen him and I have held him. An unknown man of seemingly very little to no significance in the entire Bible gets to make this proclamation for the birth of our Lord and Savior to verify that he is who they say that he is. God entrusted him, entrusted him because he was faithful with the testimony that that baby born in a manger in Bethlehem was truly the Son of God. 
It is through faith that God entrusts us all. We all have a job, a duty, something that God has asked us to do or is asking us to do. And sometimes, just like with Simeon, I know that it can get frustrating and it feels like we may be beating our head against the wall. But think to Simeon. Think about, hey, I'm not getting up every morning, going to the temple, walking around, looking through hundreds of people just to see if I can see the Savior. But Simeon kept after it, after it day after day after day. I'm sure that there were many frustrating days, and we have many frustrating days. But as with Simeon, when that's all finished, and we've accomplished what God has asked us to do, it's a glorious moment. It's a glorious moment. And it is all worth it at the end. Amen? Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for this very short story of Simeon. And what was a man that seemingly was nameless had a very, very big job. And Father, we know that we, as inconspicuous as we may be, all have jobs to do for you. And Father, we pray that you continue to encourage us, that your Holy Spirit would encourage us no matter what that may be, that on moments when we may grow tired and weary, that you would continue to lift us up and that we all would see Simeon and the satisfaction that he got from just being able to accomplish such an amazing thing of being able to see and proclaim that Jesus was your Son and our Savior. Father, we give you all praise and glory for it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. All rise.